Well, thanks, Rondé. It's really fun to be with you guys tonight. I'm not really in such a cool hipster lofted apartment as it appears. Jack Kirshner. Anything that goes well tonight is thanks to Jack. Anything that goes wrong is all on me because I am new to this technological ball game and learning a lot very quickly. So like um, was mentioned earlier, I'm Aaron. For those of you I haven't met, I'm really glad that you're here tonight. And I'm continuing on in the series that Neil started last week. He's covered like foundational aspects of the topic of habits and how we can change our habits. He taught us that habits are hard to change, but it is possible to develop good habits. He mentioned that if we develop good habits, then good habits will develop you. And the habits aren't formed by just learning more information, but actually by doing them. So it requires action steps, it requires initiative, it requires effort, but developing good habits can pay dividends for the rest of our lives. So tonight I'm going to be sharing with you about a habit that really is my prayer that you will do, that you will begin putting this into practice. Some of you maybe tomorrow, some of you later tonight, but that for the rest of your life, you will begin daily spending time in God's word and scripture. So for those of you who are still investigating Christianity, I pray that tonight you will get your appetite wet and begin to read for yourself who Jesus is found in his word. And for those of you who have decided to follow Jesus, really, you know, his invitation is for us to follow him, to allow him to lead us, to allow him to show us how to live our lives as if he were here today in 2020. How would he navigate a global pandemic if he were here today? Ultimately, kind of what we've been talking about, we talked about a lot this summer. For those of you here and those of you who aren't here, how do we apprentice Jesus. And the interesting thing about Jesus' life is that he had habits. And for those of us who are trying to follow him and want to become like him, it just kind of makes sense that we would look at his habits, right? That we would begin to build those into our lives, that we would get to know him more and become more like him. And I'm going to highlight a couple of examples of these in the New Testament. So in Luke Chapter four, verse 16, this is talking about Jesus. In Luke 4, 16, it says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. So Jesus, you know, grew up in Nazareth, went home, kind of the hometown boy. And it was just something he did wherever he was on the Sabbath day. He was at the synagogue. And it just happened on that particular day that he stood up and he read this passage from Isaiah and said, hey, that's me. I am the fulfillment of that passage. So we see here that Jesus knew scripture. He was very familiar with it. And then in another example found in uh, the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 10, um, this, is, this is kind of a snapshot into Jesus' life. It says, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them so that as was his custom, Jesus had habits. He tended to do over and over again. He taught as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath as was his custom. He prayed on the Mount of Olives as was his custom, right? This phrase as was his custom. It's such a small phrase. 
But in between the lines of the story of Jesus' life, as told by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find if you pay close attention, Jesus' habits, the customs and practices he had of spending time with God. So if I could sum up Jesus' habits very briefly and foundationally, is Jesus spent unhurried time with God. But Jesus really valued his relationship with God and made it a priority. All of us have habits, right? Regularly repeated behaviors that shape our lives for better and for worse. And the best habits that we can have are those that Jesus, who's God in a body, practiced on this earth. And since he designed life, he knew how to live it most effectively. So it just makes sense for us to learn from Jesus and how he lived life. And you can learn a ton from what Jesus taught. And you can learn even more by practicing what he did. And the more you devote yourself to emulating Jesus' habits, the more you and I become like him. And as followers of Jesus, that really is our aim, to apprentice Jesus and to develop other apprentices of Jesus. And our goal is not to practice these habits so that we can earn favor with God or that we can check off tasks from a to-do list when completed. No, no, not at all. Our goal is to apprentice Jesus and to become more and more like him. But I don't know about you, but sometimes just the thought of starting a new habit or thinking about habits, I can get really idealistic and think I should need to overhaul my entire life. But one thing I've learned as I'm a little older than you guys is that unrealistic expectations can kill a good habit as we launch or actually even before we begin the habit, right? That it is important to remember in forming good habits that they will shape our lives, but that they are going to cost us something. That they're going to cost time, right? Um, maybe some sleep for those of you who enjoy the habit of sleeping um, or maybe just saying no to other things. This is something that we all kind of have to, to grow in. I've never met at anyone who has decided to start a new habit and had a hundred percent success rate every single day once they decide to start. I, I don't know the people, they may exist. You may be one of those people. And if so, I would love to learn from you. But the reality is I have stopped more things than I've started and started more things and stopped along the way. I'm just a mess when it comes to habits. But I feel like the key in developing habits is not to allow the days that you miss to defeat you from trying again. You just got to get up and try it one more time. Okay, we're going to try this again until the habit is formed. And I don't know if your parents told you this, but something that I found really helpful is you can't say yes to something without saying no to something else. So that just helps me live in reality. A lot of times I can bite off a lot more than I can chew. So despite what the world says, the world says you can have it all, you can be it all, you've got time for it all. You simply do not have time for it all and you can't be it all. Developing good habits is going to cost you, but the bottom line is it's worth the price every single time. And so to realize from the beginning that to get to know God through his word, it's going to require effort on each of our parts. It's not going to be something that's just magically going to happen. In fact, for those of you who might be familiar with the New Testament, the word disciple is used again and again. Jesus' invitation, you know, 
to be a disciple of his, to make disciples. Disciple means a learner, right? And we are called to learn and learning requires effort. I don't need to tell you that. You guys are at USC. It required so much effort for you to get into the school. And then it's going to require a ton more effort for you to maintain that GPA to stay in school, right? And so to approach our time with God, our study of God with intentionality as a learner, knowing that it's going to require effort. But thankfully for those of us who've decided to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and gives us understanding of his word. Yes, yes. Effort is still required, but that we have his help, which is just huge. He gives us the understanding we need. Apart from him, we really can't have that understanding at all. So what I'd like to look at tonight is two areas of caution. For those of you who are considering developing the habit of spending time with God's word, in God's word, or for those of you who've started and stopped and want to restart, or for those of you who just kind of need a fresh understanding, I'm just hoping and praying that this is really helpful for you. So two areas of caution, two approaches that I would urge you to reconsider and reevaluate in your own life. So the first one is a me-centered approach. I don't know about you, but this is typically how I would normally approach my time alone with God. Before I learned not to do this, this just totally made sense to me. It's like, okay, God, what do you want to say to me today? Or what am I supposed to do about this? What should I do? Or, or who am I? Like, I just don't get who I am. Help me. And the Bible does answer those questions. It really does. But if my approach to reading scripture is to see what I can get out of it, then my motives are skewed. Because when you open God's word, when you open the Bible, God is revealed on every single page. His character, his attributes, his ways, his heart, his passion. It is a book about God. So I want to look briefly tonight at an interaction that Moses had with God. Moses lived a long, long time ago. I'm hopeful that most of you guys have heard about him. He was an Israelite living in Egypt, and this was just one ordinary day that ended up being not quite so ordinary. He was just out herding sheep, and all of a sudden, a bush caught on fire. A bush that should have never caught on fire started burning, and he walked over to it, and God began to speak to Moses in this bush. So this is, we're going to look at Exodus 3, and this is God speaking to Moses. And this is what he says. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, and I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of people? out of, no, sorry, bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? And what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And if you read further in Exodus, what you see is that Moses keeps asking those kind of questions. Who am I? 
what should I do? But he is focusing on who he is and what he lacks. And I don't know about you, but I can really relate to Moses in that, wondering those kinds of things. Rather than God answering Moses by telling Moses, Moses, you're the man for the job. Moses, you are my chosen servant. Moses, you've got this. No, no. It seems to us almost as if God doesn't answer Moses' question. But actually, he does. He responds with who he is. And there is a book that a lot of the uh, material that I'm sharing with you tonight that I have learned a great deal from. It's called Women of the Word. It's by Jen Wilkin. It's just poorly titled. There's nothing about this book that a man could not enjoy or learn from. Um, For those of you men who are interested, I would highly recommend it. But this quote that I'm about to read came from this book. Jen is an amazing Bible teacher. And I thought this helped bring such clarity and understanding to what we're talking about tonight and what I've learned from her. She says this, we are like Moses. The Bible is our burning bush, a faithful declaration of the presence and holiness of God. We ask it to tell us about ourselves and all the while it is telling us about I am. We think that if we would just, that if it would just tell us who we are and what we should do, then our insecurities, fears, and doubts would vanish. But our insecurities, fears, and doubts can never be banished by the knowledge of who we are. They can only be banished by the knowledge of I am. We must read and study the Bible with our ears trained on hearing God's declaration of himself. I would encourage you guys, read Exodus. Many of you have read it before, read it again. And read it with new eyes, looking for what Moses learned. Look at that. You see, What Moses learned, I'll give you a sneak peek, but you should read it yourself, is that who he was didn't really matter. But it was who God was that made all the difference. The Bible does speak to who we are, that we are made in the image of God, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. But it does so through the lens of who God is. I don't know about you, but I often approach the process backwards. I approach it with my questions. Who am I? I need this. Instead of approaching it, looking at who God is first. In this book, Jen explains that that really the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self go hand in hand. That there can be no true knowledge of self apart from the knowledge of God. That, That God is really the only reference point that is reliable. And it is so good and it is so right to turn to scripture when we are struggling, when we're anxious, when we're angry, when we're hurt, when we're selfish, when we're proud, when we're weak. God does speak to us through his word. But what I'm suggesting is a change in approach, a change in perspective. You see, when I am struggling with forgiveness and am reminded in scripture, Aaron, you need to choose to forgive. That is so good and it is really helpful. But what helps even more is when I see my unforgiveness as sin in view of a God who is holy and sinless and who knows the ugliest, most vile things about my heart and has chosen to forgive me. That highlights who God is and why unforgiveness is a sin and helps me to choose to forgive 
because I've seen who God is. I have experienced his forgiveness. And that is a tremendous motivator. I know you, like me, want to become the best versions of ourselves. And that real change is possible as we read and as we apply and as we obey and as we study God's word. It's just oftentimes the transformation process is a little more bumpy and kind of out of sorts when my pursuit and maybe your pursuit tends to be me-centered rather than God-centered. So I would encourage you as you begin to read scripture, hopefully each day, that this is the question you would ask. What does this passage teach me about God? Before you begin to ask what it teaches you about you or teaches me about me. What does this passage teach me about God? And I think you will discover as you get to know God, his characters, his ways, his heart, his passions, you will be changed as you get to know God. So that's the first wrong approach, the me-centered approach. And the second wrong approach is the feeling-based approach. And I don't know about you, if you guys have done Myers-Briggs or any of those, you know, Enneagram kind of tests, I I test high on the feeler scale. I feel things deeply. Some of you can't really relate to that, but um, just trust me on this one. But I think even thinkers can relate to this, a feeling-based approach to Bibles. So you think, you know, I need peace, I need joy, I need comfort and hope and direction. God, I just want to feel closer to you. And what I've discovered is that this is my approach, feeling closer to God, then I will avoid Parts of the Bible that convict me, that speak to my sin. I don't want to feel bad. I want to feel good. And so if things that are too confusing, I'm not going to spend time in things I don't understand or, or that's too much history. No, not today. I don't need that today. This is what I need, God. You know, fill me up. Make me feel better. But what I would encourage you is to engage with both your heart and your mind during your time in God's word. You know, scripture speaks to the heart as being the center of our will and emotions. Kind of, you know, it's our feeler, the decision maker part of us. In Luke 10, 27, Jesus speaks of this. So Luke 10, 27 says, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus commands us, love God with all of your heart. He also commands us to love God with all of our minds, the mind, the seat of the intellect, that it's just dangerous to judge the strength of our faith, the health of our relationship with God by how close we feel to God. You know, well, that sermon, I don't think it was that great. I I didn't feel any different afterwards. Or, you know, I didn't really like the songs that we sang tonight. I just didn't feel better afterwards or even just your time alone with God, whether in the morning or at night, like I just didn't feel it. So maybe I should not, I should take a break from it. It is good. And it is right to want a real relationship, a life giving relationship with God that involves our emotions. We are emotional people. God created us with emotions, but when we allow emotions to be the judge, of how strong our relationship is with God, then we end up on this spiritual roller coaster that we can't get off of high highs and low lows, and we just ride it and we're dizzy and nauseous as a result. And so I would urge you tonight to kind of step off that roller coaster, maybe even never step back on it. 
and some verses to, to back up this idea that I'd like to work through a little tonight. Starting in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 26, 3, God speaking, you will keep, or this is God saying, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So God will keep us in peace when our minds are steadfast, when our minds are fixed on him. Peace is the result of that, right? When you fast forward to the New Testament, this is Jesus. He said to them in Luke 24, 44 to 45, he said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he opened their minds that they could understand scripture. So what we were talking about before, we need God's help in order to understand his word. On our own, we can't grasp the depth of it, what it really means. But with God's help, we can. But it's going to take our involving our minds and not just how we feel about a passage, what it makes us feel after we read it. And the last one, which should be fairly familiar to you guys who are part of Challenge in the Spring, we spent a lot of time in Romans 12. In Romans 12, 2 through 3, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If we want to be transformed and we want to know God's will, and I don't know anybody who doesn't want to know God's will for their life. Paul says it really clearly in the book of Romans. Hey, renew your mind. Start with your mind. The amazing thing is that we can grow in our knowledge of God's character through studying his word that we can grow in loving him more by getting to know him more. That Romans 12, 2 speaks to that, that transformation is possible as we renew our mind. We can understand who God is and we are changed. So changed, in fact, that the things that our affections have been attached to begin to detach and attach more to things that are on God's heart, more on things that have eternal value because we are being changed. What we have valued is being changed as we begin to value the things God values. And that happens as we get to know him, as we fall more and more in love with him. Thinking about this, that really the path of transformation runs from our minds to our hearts. So to begin to give thought and attention to what we are allowing our minds to dwell in and to allow scripture to really dwell deeply in our minds. Because yes, God will meet us in our emotions. He created us as emotional beings. But my urge and challenge to you is to not allow how you're feeling on any given day of the week, any moment, any season of life to judge the depth of your relationship with God. And there's a um, very brilliant man who is, his name is Paul Bloom. He's a professor at Yale and he's a PhD in cognitive psychology. And you're like, how did that switch so easily, Aaron? Trust me, it makes sense. So his research is actually done in the area of pleasure, pleasure research. So how do we, as human beings, develop the ability to drive pleasure from people, from experiences, from things? And in his research, what he's proven is that pleasure doesn't just happen, that it develops. So Dr. Bloom has found that pleasure actually is a result of gaining knowledge about the things that bring us pleasure. Instead of experiencing it over and over again, it's kind of what we think. Well, I just need to do it more often and 
I'll enjoy it more. But no, no, what he is saying is when we know more about like the history, origin and nature of something that our pleasure increases. And I don't know about you, but um, I recently jumped on the Hamilton bandwagon. I'm, I know I'm years behind everyone else. I tend to be like, oh, I think that's like overrated. I'm not sure. But then I watched it and then I read about it and then I read more about it. And I was like, this is amazing. And so knowing more about the history of Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Byrne and these people helps me to enjoy and appreciate and find greater pleasure in watching it again. So think about that. Like, what do you delight in? Maybe it's your car or maybe it's like Renaissance art or maybe it's Hamilton or the theater or or nutrition or the Lakers. I mean, it could be anything. But you think about that for a minute and it is likely that your love for that thing developed as you learned more and more about whatever that may be. As your knowledge grew, your enjoyment of it grew. And that correlates so perfectly in what we're talking about tonight. Yes, you will go through dry spells in any relationship, especially a relationship with God. There are going to be times you don't feel as close to God. But if Dr. Bloom is right, and I think he is because he's much smarter than I'll ever be, that pursuing experiences as God is not going to lead us to greater enjoyment of him. No, no, it's as we study him, as we get to know him through his word, as we dive in and go deep, take notes and wrestle with things and, and really put the effort forth to learn, then we will know him in such a deeper and richer way and we will love him more. To think about that, like to know him is to love him. And isn't that what we want? And isn't it amazing to think about the God of the universe, the one who sustains the breath in our lungs and the, the beat of our heart and everything around us has invited us to know him. He has made it possible for us to get to know him. He didn't say, I hope they figure it out. He's given us his word. And as we become students of his word, we really can get to know God better. To think that, that, um, that our heart cannot love what our mind does not know. I thought that was a really interesting quote that I read while I was doing research about this, that the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. But I would really caution you not to pursue knowledge for the sake of just amassing more information and amassing more knowledge. I know, you know, being at USC, you are around experts in their field all day long on Zoom. Those are your professors. And we don't want to become people who just know about God. Some people who know a lot about things can be pretty arrogant and belittling and hard to deal with. We don't want to be those people as followers of Christ. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, he says this, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be someone who's arrogant. I want to get to know God so that I can love him more, that I can actually get to know myself better and how he created me, the more I get to know him and see myself through the lens of who he is. So I would urge you tonight on those two approaches to remember God before me and mind before self. God before me and mind before self. You see, in scripture, we see repeatedly that Jesus made time to consistently connect with God. And if Jesus did that, God in the flesh, then how much more do we need to do that? So I'm going to close tonight with just some tips on how to develop 
a consistent pattern of studying God through his word and getting to know him and falling in love with him as we spend time with him in his word. These are some good approaches, some things to consider for those of you who are like, you know what, this is a habit I want to begin to develop. Well, here you go. Number one, time. And I know that time is something we talk a lot about. I know many of you in my conversations with you, I feel like almost every conversation we talk about time and time management and what is taking up your time. But I would like you to remember that, that each of us chooses our priorities, that we are not victims of our schedule, that we choose how we are going to spend every moment of every day. It is so easy to buy into the lie that I have little control over my life. No, 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 no. Stop the excuses. I am the queen of excuses. Trust me. I know. So it begins with just being honest with ourselves, owning it. Like, I just don't feel like doing that. I I didn't make time for that. Instead of like, I didn't have time for that. I didn't make time for that. Acknowledging that, you know, when I am neglecting time with God and his word, that I'm just choosing not to spend time with him. It is a decision. It is a choice on my part. Another thing that comes up in just this area of time is distractions, busyness, these kinds of things. Distractions and busyness with the wrong things, we just need to call it what it is. It's just sin, right? So to confess it, God, I have been distracted and busy with things that are of little value in the scheme of life and the view of eternity. So I confess that to you and I want to do things differently. So I want to start living in obedience to you, asking for your help making decisions and how to use my time. Will you lead me and guide me and teach me, help me. And recognizing that time is something we all get the same amount of. So looking at it, what do you need to take out of your schedule in order to be able to put this into your schedule? Chances are you don't have a lot of free time floating out there that you're whittling away and have have nothing to do. And so looking at your schedule, taking an honest assessment and saying, okay, what What needs to change? And then picking a time in your schedule, actually like looking at your schedule and writing it in, open up Google calendar, whatever you use, whatever makes sense, and then change the color on that and write it in there. This is my time with God. I don't know about you, but I like to set alarms because I'm probably one of the most forgetful people you will meet. So I set an alarm, make it happen. And then guard that time, protect that time. Don't let distractions and busyness rob you of that time. You need it. Another thing I would encourage you just in the area of time is to start with a manageable amount of time, and then you can increase it over time. I don't know about you, but oftentimes, like I mentioned, I'm very idealistic. So it's like, oh, yeah, I need to get into shape. I'm going to go to the gym for a couple hours tomorrow. Well, then if I go tomorrow, then Saturday, I'm not going to be able to move, and that's not motivating to the end of Saturday. So then I feel like I need to recover then I don't want to inflict that kind of pain on myself again. So then it keeps you from going back to the gym ever again. So don't do that. Don't be like me. Start small and increase over time. So time is number one. Number two, place. I would encourage you to find a place other than your bed. It has been my expert experience that your bed will invite you to take a nap with Jesus every single time. And though I have had some sweet naps with Jesus, it did not aid my understanding of his nature, his character, his heart. And so I would encourage you, do not lie in bed for this time. If you want to get something out of it, be at your desk and maybe a table outside, a comfortable chair in another room, a balcony, someplace other than your bed. So you need time, you need a place. And then the last thing is 
or not the last thing. The third thing is materials. So it's important that you've got the right materials. You need a Bible. If you do not have a Bible, if you cannot afford a Bible, talk to someone in your breakout room and they'll talk to a staff member and we will get you a Bible. You need an actual like page flipping. You can feel it with your fingertips. Bible. You also need a notebook and a pen. You need something to be able to write down what you're learning, questions you're asking, thoughts you're having, things you don't understand, things you want to remember. Write it down. Have a special notebook just designed for that time alone with God. Another thing under materials is it's it's good to have a plan. I don't know about you, but anything we want to start in life, whether it's exercise, nutrition, whatever it may be, you're going to need a plan. And so one of the things that's been super, super helpful for me is this acrostic. And Jack is actually going to put the link to this Google Doc in the chat so you guys can save it and refer to it later. The acronym is PRAY. So P stands for PRAY. R stands for READ. A stands for analyze and apply and why stands for yield. And so you can use that acrostic to just help you know how to structure your time alone with God. And the last thing is kind of determining where you're going to read, where are you going to start in the Bible? I would encourage you to start in one of the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, start somewhere, pick a book, and then just keep moving forward day by day. Just make progress. Maybe mark where you ended the day before and then just read the next segment the next day but have a plan. Otherwise you will get so discouraged and, and you'll forget where you were and then you'll, you just won't keep going. The fourth thing is to avoid distractions and interruptions. I don't know about you, but I'm one of the most easily distracted people you will ever meet. And I also am terrible with interruptions. So I would encourage you to keep your phone in another room and do not Read the Bible on a Bible app on your phone or on your computer, because trust me, you will get a million text messages, news alerts, things that seem like they cannot wait another minute and must be dealt with right then. So put your phone in another room on airplane mode, charge it, but keep it separate. Disconnect with the world in order to be able to connect with God. And then the last thing is just accountability. I don't know about you, but the habits that I've cultivated in my life that I hope to practice for the rest of my life have required accountability with someone else checking in to see how I'm doing a lot of times actually doing it with me. And I, I know I've told the story to many before, but you know, I have a good friend, Bethany, who we both decided we were going to start exercising together. And she showed up at my apartment every day at six 30 in the morning. And she didn't text me early in the morning with excuses or late at night, the night before she showed up. So we set a time we didn't waver. And that's how, I've made progress towards my exercise goals. And now we no longer meet to exercise. She has a newborn baby. She can't do that. But I've been able to continue in that pattern because I had someone get me started, motivate me to keep going and then launch me. And so I would encourage you, find a friend, ask someone who, whether it's your freshman connection leader, life group leader, or just someone you've recently met and challenged like, hey, can we Zoom quiet time together? What time works for you? We don't need to talk, but just the accountability of, of let's do this together. Let's be in this together. And it's something cultivating this habit is going to actually be a keystone habit, which someone else may talk about in future weeks. It's really going to launch you into success and developing other good habits. Because remember, when you develop good habits, good habits develop you. So in closing tonight, um, I so love this book, Women of the Word. And I wanted to give away several copies tonight. So if you're new to challenge or 
you're looking for a good book to read, you have to promise me that you'll actually read it. I don't need a book report. I just need your word. You're going to read it. Um, I want to give away five copies of this book because I love this book so much. It has been such a help to me. It's called Women of the Word by Jen Wilkin. I'm going to put my um, email address in the chat right here. And I would love for the first five people to email me and your address. I will, Amazon will send a special delivery to, um, to your house. It'll be like a care package, not so personal, but a little touch from me. So, um, anyway, thank you guys so much for being so attentive. I hope this was helpful. I've been praying for you. Jeremy's going to post the discussion questions in the chat, and then we're going to break up for a little bit of time and discuss. So let me pray. And then I'll, we'll launch into breakout rooms. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is exactly what we need to get to know you and exactly what we need to know how to navigate life on this side of heaven. And so we do just invite you to teach us, to instruct us, to, to guide us into knowing you more and becoming more like you. Help us to love you more as we get to know you more. Thanks for these students, the time they're taking tonight um, to be here. And I pray that each of us will begin this habit of spending time with you and getting to know you through the Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.